I felt like physically worn out. I'm exhausted. I've been running myself ragged from work. Good morning, sleepyhead. Mimi? Mom, Mimi collapsed. Oh my God. I don't know. She's not responding. Come on, Mimi, stay with me. In the time it takes to snap your fingers, everything can change. They looked at my sister and they basically said, your, your sister is going to die. We've never seen someone like this come back. I lost a pulse. Give me the paddles. The swift and indiscriminate strike of a blood clot is as instantaneous and devastating as any other catastrophic bodily occurrence. Every six minutes, somebody in America dies of a blood clot. We're here to change that statistic. Welcome to Taking a Breath, a Stop the Clot podcast. A podcast dedicated to bringing awareness of the dangers of blood clots from the clotting disorders community to the world. With the help of many notable blood clot survivors, we are here to give you the knowledge and the skills you need to prevent this silent killer. My name is Leslie Lake. I am the president of the National Blood Clot Alliance, and I am a blood clot survivor. And my name is Todd Robertson. I'm the patient engagement liaison for the National Blood Clot Alliance, and I am a six-time blood clot survivor. And we're here to stop the clot. In the all-too-familiar loss of life cut short, some stories of survival are nothing short of miraculous. Today, we are joined by somebody whose story reflects the beauty of familial love and divine happenstance. A lifelong athlete who spent 17 years working for the National Football League and is currently director for events at Major League Soccer, our guest today is a survivor. Join me in welcoming the gracious and effortlessly charming Mimi McKinnon. I am Mimi McKinnon. I've been an athlete since I was five, a collegiate hockey player, spent 17 years at the NFL, and I am now the director of events at the MLS. And I am a blood clot survivor and a badass. Well, uh, it all started in uh, 2013. Um, I was a young, healthy 31-year-old. And the journey really began when I went to my GYN and asked to to be uh, prescribed uh, birth control. It was a contraceptive ring that you place, uh, you know, in your body and remove kind of in a monthly fashion. She handed me a pamphlet, um, sort of said, read the back. um, And there's some warnings, but all kidding aside, it's like those commercials you see on the TV that said, you know, may cause all these extreme things. And it's one in a million. I was healthy. I grew up an athlete. Um, I played hockey my whole life. I I ran. I was active. I was in, you know, I wasn't overweight. Um, So I didn't smoke. I didn't have any of the other X factors uh, that you sort of know of. 
you know, I had never been tested genetically on sort of what my genetic predisposition to blood clots was. It was just, again, here's this pamphlet, read it, and, and we'll see you later. I reflect back, it's horrific. It's it's so scary. Um, and any drug that you put in your body, you should really understand that the risks are real. Um, and it's not a one in a million, because you could be that one, uh, which I was, um, which is cr- crazy. I left the office, started using the product, didn't really have uh, what I would call kind of alarming uh, things. Like some women on birth control, they lose weight, which I was like, that's a win. I lost some of the, you know, (laughs) the winner weight that I put on, you know, and I would say it was really three months into using the product. And I, I sort of reflect back. I don't think in the moment I really sort of understood what was happening to me. But post-event, I kind of look back, and after that three months, I started uh, having cramps in my legs, shortness of breath, and the weight loss should have been a little bit of a, uh, hey, this is not a normal uh, occurrence. I went to my primary care physician, so obviously two different doctors, but they're in the same, they were literally on the same floor and said, hey, hey, I'm having a hard time running a mile. I wasn't uh, in amazing shape, uh, like an Olympic athlete shape, but I wasn't in total, like, I can't get out of bed uh, shape. So somewhere in between, you know, I, I said to her, I said, listen, I'm, I'm having these cramps. I don't, I can't run. Um, I, I don't understand what's happening. Um, I sort of just don't feel right. And, you know, she said to me, maybe you're just, you know, dehydrated you know, maybe just kind of keep, keep monitoring it and, and sort of kind of sent me on my way uh, with a, maybe it's just dehydration. So I sort of left in saying, you know what, Mimi, maybe it's just, you're tired. I have, I had been traveling a lot for work and I sort of wasn't taking what I would consider amazing care of my body, you know, maybe working out once a week instead of, you know, every other day. So I sort of just said, Maybe I'll hopefully I'll feel better. The next couple of months, I was probably the most well hydrated person, like coconut water by the gallon, so much water that I think I was probably, I don't know, clear. I had so much water. As a 31 year old, you think you're invincible. I mean, I know I was getting up in age. Um, I wasn't 20, but I certainly thought blood clots were for old people um, or sort of people that were not like me. The pain continued. Um, the horrible, I call them Charlie horses, but they're like this like wretched leg cramp. Um, at any time I was doing physical activity, I was running on the treadmill and two minutes I'm like gasping for air, um, which again, I look back and that's terrifying because, um, you know, you should be able to walk around uh, without uh, gasping for air as a 31-year-old. The next three months, I obviously continued to have kind of signs and symptoms and, you know, I little clots were breaking off. And again, I know that post post event. May 9th, I went on a work trip, actually got stuck in Indianapolis uh, overnight, flew home the next day, kind of uh, went out to dinner. I would say Friday, I didn't go to work. I chalked it up to being hungover, uh, which I look back and I had one beer. (laughs) 
I'm Irish Scottish. That shouldn't do what it did to me. I just felt crummy. I felt like physically worn out. I felt like I couldn't do anything except sit on the couch and just kind of recover. I again chalked it up to maybe one too many beers. I'm exhausted. I've been running myself ragged from work. I go to bed that night and I will preface that this part of the story is all secondhand from kind of that point to forward. Um, So I go to bed, I wake up in the morning. I lived with my sister at the time, so, and she worked from home luckily. So she, you know, had all these sort of weird divine intervention circumstances. She was supposed to go somewhere. She decided to stay home. I go downstairs and I end up passing out on the couch. Uh, My sister, you know, obviously was there and she's trying to, you know, shake me awake, kind of saying, are you okay? Like any good daughter, I, I have two sisters, calls my mom. She's like, at the moment, it, it sounded like the right thing to do. But, you know, immediately, obviously, she, she got off the phone um, and called 911. And I was unresponsive at the time. Uh, you know, I don't know if I stopped breathing. I think I was just passed out and sort of uh, probably on my way to having a cardiac arrest. So they get me into the ambulance um, and obviously are rushing me to the hospital. My sister's with me. They uh, they revived me twice in the in the ambulance. They kept asking my sister sort of what was wrong with me? um, What kind of drugs was I on? Because it it wasn't making sense why someone, a 31 year old woman was in this state and it was a pretty ugly, it was pretty bad. Uh, I was in bad shape, really bad shape. My sister was like, she's not on any drugs. She took Zyrtec for allergies and that was the only thing she could think of. And then luckily all these pieces sort of fall together on why I'm alive. And, and she knew to tell, cause we had both been on the contraceptive. She knew to tell the EMT, like, hey, listen, she's also on this. Um, And luckily, the EMT was a younger guy. He had seen one case like this before, um, and he knew that it likely could have been a blood clot from the contraceptive. He ended up giving me um, a shot, kind of clot buster, uh, which not many ambulances carry that. Uh, I think it was sort of a unique to the area and to the hospital that I went to. So he ended up giving me that shot, which, you know, slowed down any more clots from kind of getting to my heart and um, damaging further. And this piece will come important later is that, you know, they looked at my sister and they basically said, your your sister's going to die. Like, this is, you say goodbye, um... Like you, this is, this is not good. We've never seen someone like this come back. Get to the hospital and they uh, had just started using this process where uh, they lower the core body temperature to about 90 degrees. So they put you in an induced coma and sort of lower uh, your body temperature to slow any further damage. So you slow your brain function, kind of slow your organs. So they, they kept me um, induced for about 48 hours. 
excuse the funny stories. I always tell funny stories because, you know, it's, it's sort of a dark situation. So my, my family obviously had all come from wherever they were to go to the hospital. Um, and and um, it's a grim scene. I'm in the ICU. It's, it's sort of, I'm, I'm incubated. I'm sort of all hopped up on, on whatever, not responsive, clearly. So they came in and they're, and they're with me. And uh, another family friend of ours comes and says, you know, hey, listen, you guys have been here for so long. Why don't you go get some food? I'll sit with Mimi. I'll keep her company, you know, and I'll keep you updated if anything changes. Um, I think it was, I mean, they left maybe an hour uh, to go get some dinner. Um, and my a family friend calls my, my dad and says, um, you may want to come back. Uh, Mimi's up. Um, she, she, she basically came out of the coma herself um, and is asking for you guys, kind of asking, like, where is everybody? And my, you know, my family are like, well, we just opened this nice bottle of wine, but no, I'm just, so, um, no, so, so they packaged the wine and then they came back. No, I'm all, all kidding aside. They, they obviously rushed back and sort of, um, but I had literally taken myself out of the coma, decided that it was time uh, to like wake up and, and, and go get them. At this point, they didn't really know, uh, they couldn't really fully understand what had happened. They were doing all sorts of tests on me. I think at one point they said I had lung cancer, uh, like all these other sort of ancillary diseases. Um, my parents were like in a roller coaster of emotion, thinking, "Oh gosh, does she have lung cancer? Is this what's what's happening?" They finally moved me up to out of the ICU and up to the cardio floor, um, where my improvement progressed throughout the two weeks. You know, it was interesting in the beginning. I think just because of the traumatic event, my speech was slow. Kind of, I felt like I was talking, but it. I was on like a, have you ever seen the 51st Dates with Drew Barrymore? It was like every day I'm like, what day is it? I was very focused on like when I came in, what day it was, repeating myself. But again, people were like, you just went through sort of an event, like be patient and like hopefully, hopefully this will start coming back. And it did. It's sort of, I would write things down. I would write who the people I saw that day. So again, I could sort of just um, kind of slowly I uh, start warming back up. And um, I was seen by millions of doctors. Um, I, I re- recall some med students um, coming up and they were like, this is a once in a lifetime case. So they were studying me <laughs> and why I was totally normal. Um, so it was sort of just like a crazy um, outer body, literally, experience and sort of why it, it, it was very odd um, once I finally understood what happened. I've, I lost like 48 hours prior to the event and sort of obviously the event and then kind of a few days after. And someone, you know, I think it was my family member was like, did any, did anyone die born birthdays no so it's like don't don't beat yourself up for not remembering it and and, you know that's why when I tell the story I preface that it's sort of all secondhand because everything that kind of 48 hours prior to the event and the event were all told to me um which is sort of a wild um so I've sort of 
Luckily, 10 years later, I've kind of released that kind of frustration and just said, you know what? It's okay to lose 72 hours. Side effect awareness is important. That's why it's regularly printed in the smallest font, on the smallest labels, and read at lightning speed in between other advertisements. Dangerous and occasionally life-threatening side effects should be paramount when discussing, taking, or reintroducing any kind of drug or medicine. Here for his insight on clotting risk associated with hormonal contraceptives is Dr. Elliot Hout. So uh, hormonal birth control is a risk factor for uh, blood clots. And unfortunately, we hear every year, and it's on the news all the time, of you know, young, otherwise healthy women who um, have a diagnosis missed and you know, die of a pulmonary embolism. And the reason people think it happened was their hormonal birth control. Um, so, uh, you know, every hormone you take, hormones do lots of different things in the body. Uh, they control kind of everything, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And one of the things that some of the hormones can do is change the way your blood is prone to clotting. So say your le- normal level of clotting is, is some percentage or something, and that's kind of the normal level where you usually stand. If you take these hormones, that might increase the risk of you having one of these abnormal blood clots. So, um, you know, in patients who are on oral contraceptives, we always have to ask that question. Every time there's one of these symptoms on the stop clot um, uh, list, swelling of the leg, tenderness of the leg, chest pain, shortness of breath, if a young, otherwise healthy woman presents with those, it's absolutely critical to ask, are you on oral contraceptives? Um, because these hormones can change things. And what you might think is, you know, a normal 25-year-old would never get a blood clot like this. Now, if they're on an oral contraceptive, you might have to do some testing to try to figure that out, rule it out. And the worst thing we want to hear is that this diagnosis was missed. And, you know, a young woman, you know, their entire life ahead of them dies because we didn't diagnose the blood clot fast enough. I will say the hardest part of recovery was watching my sister suffer silently. I mean, she had panic attacks. I went to the hospital with her, I think, 10 times. She thought she was having a clot. Um, She was not. Uh, She obviously took herself off of what I was on, Um, but she thought she was having a clot, and I didn't know how to handle that. It's never told to you. Obviously, I knew about PTSD, mostly from a military arm or sort of other, but it was it's real. She had witnessed the most horrific event she probably hopefully will witness. Um, and it it really it, it took her years of sort of going through the motions of going to the hospital and trying to understand and, and having her talk to as many doctors and say, this is not a clotting issue. You know, this is PTSD. It was never diagnosed or no one ever told her or said, maybe you need to see a therapist or, you know, I forced the issue. But um, that was probably the hardest part because um, I didn't remember it. Oh, 
I was never a runner. And it's funny because my sister, we're all hockey players, as I said earlier. My sister always jokes that she's got like thick legs, like heavy. She's so muscular. I'm, I'm a little taller than her and shaped. I was a goalie. She was a defense woman. And we have another sister, uh, two an older sister. And uh, us running was like, is terrible. It's like literally painful. I'm like, why do people do that? And especially 26.2 miles, like why on earth? But the NBCA had these openings on the team. And I went to my boyfriend's brother's Ironman That I'm not into yet, but we'll see. Um, You know, and we were driving back from Lake Placid and it's just like, I, again, I'm an athlete at heart. I get like, I'm getting goosebumps when the, when the, you know, the airplane flies over and the anthem plays and sort of all the juiced up feelings uh, before the athletes are running into the water and kind of the finish of that event is like incredible. People have been, you know, uh, working for a year up to that and, and, um, Fast forward, I'm driving home. Um, and I had said, yeah, maybe I'll run it. I had done some smaller races and I'm like, I'm going to do this. And it was probably a little closer to the to the day than uh, an average trainer or someone training for it would do it. And I'm like, nope, I'm doing it. Um, and I called my sister and I said, do you want to do this with me? And she said, yeah. So, and she also started training even later than I am. Like, you're nuts, but you're, you're tough, you know, you're tough, uh, SOB. Um, and she's like a workhorse. We're, we're so Irish and Scottish. It's like, I mean, yeah. So we ended up running together the whole time. And it was, the, the finish was so emotional. And it was sort of like, we made made it through together and i also think it signified like her strength you know and we i just think it was like this beautiful moment we held hands we crossed it and it was just it was an awesome day it's nuts that I'm, it's like it it really hits me every time i talk about it um and it's just, it was a special moment. And I think it really signified sort of not so much the end of the journey, but it sort of like capped it like, we're going to be okay, you know? And we both broke down into tears and it was, you know, got the ugly cry picture at the end. Um, then we got those ridiculous blue capes and we were walking around afterwards and. Afterwards, we went to a party and it was, uh, we had all our friends and family there and it was just a really, you know, a special uh, moment. Something I never thought I would do. It challenges your mental, your physical. Six years after the whole incident, I, I'm, I'm finishing a marathon, which is just crazy to think about. So, um, yeah, it is interesting whenever I talk about that moment, I get very choked up. So, um, it's it's obviously still raw as I rawer than I remembered it, but <laughs> um, and I think for her too, you know, it was like I said, I think I said it earlier, but it was for her, it was sort of um, kind of closure, like we are okay, you know, we did this together, and um, sort of, I think it was, you know, 
who knows if she'll ever be fully healed, but I think, you know, again, it was sort of the the end cap of kind of her emotional journey uh, in the whole uh, incident. You're an athlete. I always think of you as an athlete. Um, but we have a lot of people that come to NBCA that are athletes also. And this really, you know, no pun intended, kind of stops people in their tracks. So what was the process like for you to come back as an athlete? Because we kind of went from, you know, you're playing hockey to you're running the New York City Marathon. But there was a process for you to get to the point where you could do that. And so talk about that. And also talk about it in a way that other survivors can have hope that they can come back too. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to run the New York City Marathon or a marathon or even a 5K. But just what was it like for come you? Come on, Leslie. You're going <laughs> to. Uh, I, I ran after you in the marathon because I missed you go by because I was looking at the app and I was like, where is she? And then all of a sudden I saw you and your sister in the polka dots and I was like, no, sorry, ran <laughs> by. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting because I, I I was trying to think. I think, you know, and I, I think a lot of the survivors say this is you kind of find your person, um, kind of a doctor that you trust and sort of is on the team. And and that for me was my hematologist. I, I think she sort of really gave my confidence back um, and sort of guided me through steps to make me comfortable uh, how to exercise again and sort of how to get back into that physical self that I wanted to be. And it started very slow. To her advice, I got on the treadmill and I I could have broken down in tears there. I was on the treadmill and I think I walked for 10 minutes and that was a big feat. It was scary. Um, I didn't know if I was going to implode on the treadmill or sort of what was going to happen. Um, but it didn't. And I called her and said, this is what I did. This is how I felt. She said, good, do it again tomorrow and sort of add two minutes onto the 10 minutes and sort of just continue to, to slowly work your way to that. Um, and having that advocate and someone I could call and say, oh, oh my gosh, I, I don't feel great. Or I have this weird twitch in my leg. What do you think it is? And, you know, she says, it's probably nothing, but if you want to come in, I'll check you out or let's look at your charts and see kind of where you were the last time you saw me. Um, so I think really just having that support system, uh, it, you know, as the medical profession, not just a friend saying, oh, you're fine. Um, someone really truthfully telling me, you're going to be fine. We'll keep monitoring you. And I felt like she was really looking out for me and sort of knew kind of what I could and couldn't do. Um, so yeah, it took a while, it took a long time, <laughs> months before I started being comfortable. But again, I think just slowly sort of working my way up to that uh, sort of made a difference. Mimi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an amazing story. And we really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you. And you're a mother badass. Thank you. Not just a badass. Okay. <laughs> you know, Leslie, you're the reason why I'm here um, and why I continue to be part of the MBCA. So you're a true advocate, a hero uh, in the world of blood clot survivors. So thank you. Thank you.
It's been said many times over that it takes a village, but no matter what we go through, thanks to the care and support of the ones we love, we never go through it alone. It's through the strength of our community that we continue to empower, to advocate, and to overcome. We want to thank Mimi for sharing her story with us today, and to thank you for joining us here on Taking a Breath. A special thank you to Dr. Elliot Hout from Johns Hopkins for sharing his endlessly useful insight into all things clotting. For more information on risk, prevention, and community, please visit stoptheclot.org. We know the patient because we are the patient. Together with listeners like you, we can collectively stop the clot. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Patterson Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.